for a check Tell him it ain't likely Said she need a ring like Carmelo You must be on that white like Othello And welcome to the Savage Beast Podcast Back again I am Joe Gallagher, and with me, as always, Paul McLeod. Hi, Joe. How are you? I'm good. We took a hiatus almost as long as Frank Ocean's. (laughs) Solid two weeks. And uh, like Frank Ocean, we kept lying to each other about when we would uh, do something next. But uh, here we are, finally. Yeah. Um, Also like Frank Ocean, we, uh, we made love to a lot of men. You literally interrupted me during the simultaneous version of that joke. <laughs> um, so it must be true. It 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 is. Yes. Um, um, not, not that there's. I don't want to apply there's anything wrong with having lo- making love to men. It's just. I mean, we just made love to so many. It's yeah. kind of shocking. And uh, um, yeah, our wives really have a quota on how many we can sleep with, and I think we just blew way past that. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, but oh, that's uh, that's modern life. Yeah. You uh, you live to not fuck another day. That's uh, how, um, you know, we operate in uh, this as as millennials. Uh, it's, just, <laughs> it's just totes whatevs. Nobody, nobody understands millennials, Joe. They're a we- mystery wrapped in an enigma sent to confound the boomers. And... Um, Soon we'll kill them all. We go, we go, Hundo P. That's my. I don't know what the fuck that means. (laughs) uh, It means hundred percent, but it means the hundred percent emoji. But you don't say one hundred percent of the phrase one hundred percent. You just say Hundo P. You just say Hundo P. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Um, Okay. So you know what twi- uh, you know what um, millennials love, Paul, is what? Frank Ocean. They do. Does that make me a millennial? Um, I yeah, I don't know. Are, wait, are you a, are you a millennial? I think we're we're borderland millennial Gen X. But do we have the music tastes of a millennial? I don't think so. I think music tastes. No, we're definitely we're, we're Gen cult- Y, we're- late Gen X. Yeah, we're definitely culturally Gen X types i don't gen y doesn't exist i think people started to say that and then they switched to millennial i don't think there's something in between gen x and millennial yeah but like i I always thought like billy corgan and you know people uh, people making the music that we listen to were gen x yeah that's why we're late borderland gen x okay interesting so it's like at the it's you have to i wonder if the music is best when you're at the end of that particular epoch oh, that's a good epoch. question epoch 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 yeah um when the people making the music are are from the same generation as you i think most likely generations are a made-up bullshit construct and um it doesn't actually matter paul that's just <laughs> Uh, Hondo P P much. 
um, uh, okay. So Frank Ocean released his album Blonde. Uh, I've been jamming to it. What's your feeling? I uh, uh, I dig it. It's a uh, it's a weird album. Um, you know the uh, Channel Orange has a lot of skits and interludes and stuff, mm-hmm. and this one only has a little bit of that. But then in between those, Channel Orange is um, almost club ready most of the time. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is like, this is definitely you're coming down after the club type music. And uh, it's really good. It's amazing how interesting he can make really slow percussionless R&B tracks be. Um, but uh, he and his producers uh, are really good at that the specific sort of mournful uh, uh, millennial club goer vibe is how I would put it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I was surprised. Um, I like Channel Orange. Obviously, I have a, I have a soul. Uh, I like, yeah. I like that album. Um, but um, this one, I really connected to uh, immediately. Mm. Um, and I think maybe this, this second listen, um, when it was, you know, just late at night in my living room chilling on mm-hmm. my headphones uh I, I was surprised by the emotional impact a lot of the songs had on me um i felt like uh there was a um i, I could compare it to uh um you know the existential weight of uh tom york in some mm. cases just that um you know what he he brings the way tom york might bring be able to take a fairly standard rock lyric and add um, levels of uh, dread and pathos to it. Uh, Frank Ocean does that to kind of the standard um, uh, R&B lyric. Yeah. Uh, And um, uh, I think that, you know, an an example uh, when he says you know, just something in, in, in the first song Nikes you were listening to when he says, you know, uh, Trayvon looks just like him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, it got me, you know, that could be a, a throwaway line for another artist, but for him, you know, he, he, he finds a way to, to, um, weld that into his general laments. Yeah. Um, uh, that I think is, is one of those little moments that's all over this album. Um, and especially when he gets towards the end, um, and, and things really slow down, um, mm-hmm. there was a, there's a song, um, uh, uh, white, like close to you, white Ferrari was one mm-hmm. Siegfried, like they, they're just, um, they're ballads. Um, and they really are. Ones. Yeah. Even the even the the songs with beats are not exactly like burning the house down. It's all a very, uh, not mellow, but a very somber type of album. It's yeah. uh, I would say it sort of does what Drake does, but it does it for people who've graduated from seventh grade. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. So well, you you get a, I'm gonna give you uh, a trophy <laughs> for that one for 
uh, being able to compliment Frank Ocean and destroy Drake uh, in a single sentence. It's Drake for people who understand that bottle service is a terrible deal and you should never order it. Um, yeah, well, it's a great deal if somebody else is paying. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah, if you have rich friends, you know, by all means, soak them for everything they've got. Yeah. Rich friends with bad taste, but right. um, or rich enemies that don't know you're. Yeah, that's that's what bottle service is for. Um, spending uh, the money of people you hate. <laughs> that's that's the millennial way to get revenge to uh, ingratiate yourself to your enemies and then oh, yeah. y- get them to buy you things and tweet about it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, snap it. I'm sorry. Snap. Subtweet it. the subtweet about them as you do that. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I agree. This is a great album. I don't know if I do like it better than Channel Orange, just because uh, there's a little bit more bump in some of the Channel Orange songs that I enjoy. Um, I don't. I don't uh, begrudge him going away from that this time. But uh, uh, it's it's an excellent album, no matter which way you look at it. I need to go back to Channel Orange after this one and see uh, maybe if it's been unlocked. Yeah, you should try it. Um, you know, you can probably fast forward through a lot of the skits and stuff if you want. Because really, they're, they're only like, I don't know, three, four, five really excellent songs, but they're really good. Um, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like, also, I feel like oh, Frank Ocean is a video game and I've like played through the whole game now and now I need to go back and there's like <laughs> higher challenges on the early levels. Exactly. Um, like Channel Orange, this album has a cameo from Andre 3000 that burned my fucking earphones off my head. Yes. Um, that guy. So like the day before I listened to this album, I was discussing with a coworker how uh, we were sort of drunk at the end of a company social hour. And uh, we were just going on about how Kendrick Lamar is literally like not, not being, not saying this to, to exaggerate, but literally the best rapper ever. Like we, we agreed, we had thought about it. I had actually thought about this before I was discussing it with him and Kendrick Lamar just is the best. There might be some old dude some people want to throw up there, but whatever. Mm. I can't imagine he's better than Kendrick Lamar. Right. And then I listened to that Andre 3000 verse. I was like, oh, fuck. I forgot about Andre 3000. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's so good. Like, it's one of the greatest shames is that he spent the last, like, 10 years not really rapping very much uh, because he's still as good as anybody has ever been at rapping. Yeah, I mean, and the, you're just amazed on sort of the, some of the deep cuts from Outkast, um, mm-hmm. just how much uh, otherworldly excellence he's putting into songs that, um, you know, other rappers would just, you know, record one take and mm-hmm. get back to the club. Absolutely. And then Big Boy is also really awesome. So that yeah. was a great group, in case you needed to know that. Wow. Oh, uh, yeah, you know. Another hot take from Beast. <laughs> Outcast, very good. Um, I'd, be, I'd be into an Outcast retrospective pod. That would be fun. Oh, yeah, we uh, should do Outcast that. Outcast deep cuts. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, we, also, we, have, go we ahead. haven't done a, a retrospective artist survey like that. Yeah, that that'd might be a good one. Also, us ranking our favorite rappers. That would uh, be fun. Yeah. That would be crazy. Yeah, we would get into it. I think we would diverge over some of like the '90s 
I'm not sure you would be. It is, I think I would rank like Tupac and Biggie higher than much higher than you. Yeah, mostly because I didn't really like. I completely missed them at the time. Right. Um, I was listening to Christian music, and then I was listening to rock. And between the, there was like a phase there where I probably thought, I don't know. I just, I just wasn't into rap at the time. Not right. that there was anything wrong with it. Right. Somehow I, I, you know, I was just in, I listened to a lot of Tupac back then. Yeah. Yeah. I had the right, thank God. Well, you and he were both bloods, so. That's it true. Makes sense. That's true. Um, I have no idea what gang <laughs> Tupac was in. Uh, the Tupac gang. No, he yeah. probably was in a specific gang, and please don't, don't, uh, don't involve us in any gang wars. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they're like scour the internet for podcasts that mention Tupac's gang affiliation, then <laughs> slaughter the perpetrators. <laughs> I mean, Tupac. Uh, he's hanging out on Machiavelli Island. You know, <laughs> he's pro- That's probably what he does. Just uh, looks for new people to take revenge upon. Well, you know, the, the stream of posthumous releases has sort of slowed, which I take yeah. to mean that he, like, died of cancer a few years ago or something. No, that's, that's probably true. Um, but it was a good run. I mean, he really, he really milked that afterlife for all it was worth. It was. If Tupac revealed himself to be alive, that would be the biggest oh, music-related yeah. story of all oh, time. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. That oh, like, that would be the biggest story of the last, other than... 9-11 that would right. be the biggest story of the last like 40 years yeah i mean if a if a really iconic musician like that faked his death for 20 fucking years <laughs> and then and then an, and announced his return via like an unreal uh, double album of yeah. hot tracks what what he would do is he should come back uh, they, they should have a concert where they bring him on via hologram like they did at Coachella a year or two ago. Yes. But then the hologram fades away and Tupac is standing in the exact same position. Yes. It's actually him. You know, I, I don't know if you believe in the multiverse, Paul, but I, I like thinking that there's a multiverse where that's happening. Yeah. I mean, yeah. As they say, if the multiverse is real, literally every physically possible thing is happening. So, you know. That might be actually that might be too awesome to be possible. <laughs> so there is yeah. there are limits. Um, well, we've uh, we bullshitted for a long time, uh, mm-hmm. and now we need to talk about other people's bullshit for an even longer time. Yes, um, because our topic today uh, are the five kinds of bad albums you meet in hell. The five albums you meet in hell. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, I butchered the name. Our topic yeah, we, today is the five albums you meet in hell. You, we have to get that topical Mitch album reference in here, Joe. If we don't do it, we'll never go viral. Um, I mean, I'm tempted to go to hell just to punch Mitch album, although he's not dead yet. Isn't be, he? Be oh. waiting, I'll be waiting there. No, Maury's dead. Okay. It's no more Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> That's a stupid joke that really made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well done. Um, yeah. Uh, We've got five I, albums. They're all yeah, bad. They're it. really bad. They're they're infamously bad for the most part. Maybe yes. only three of them are definitely infamously bad. Yes. Um, and, and they're each 
bad in a particular way. And from a particular decade. I realized by accident we've got one from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and the aughts. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Go us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is 50 years of, of shitty music that we listen to Ooh. so we could see uh, if there's any value in any of it, uh, particularly because they're all different, bad in different weird ways, like Joe was saying. And... Uh, I mean, it was really. What order should we do them in, Joe? I, I, we'll segue. Well, how about we do them in chronological order? Okay. Is that does that seem, or we could no, also that, we could do it in reverse chronological order. One of the two. Let's go. Let's go reverse, just because like the famous albums are towards the earlier part chronologically. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, Paul, let me let me ask you something at the beginning. Uh huh. Um, did you uh, find yourself liking any of these albums? There are parts of all of these albums that I liked. None of them is like a good album. Okay, okay. Um, I I won't probe much yeah. further that, than that. I would say some of them are not the disasters they're made out to be. Um, all right, Paul, what are you drinking to get you through this terrible music? Ah, it's time for a plug for one of our non-sponsors. Yes. I just finished a delicious IPA from Stone, Mm. uh, which I don't know if you've had that one, but it's got a really bright citrusy flavor, and uh, it's really really nice. It's also low gluten, which I don't give a fuck about. Wait, is uh, it just their basic IPA? No, their basic IPA is uh, Stone IPA, I think. Wait, what's this this one called? Delicious IPA. That is literally the name. (laughs) I thought you were just saying it was delicious. No, no, no. Literally, it is called Delicious IPA. It has five hops and low gluten and whatever. It tastes good. Oh, I should try that. I'm uh, drinking a Gear Up IPA uh, from Hub Brewery, mm. which is here in Portland. Nice. Uh, quite tasty. Um, fun can. I don't Doesn't think I can get that. Much. No, I don't. We got Portland has so many breweries. <laughs> so many breweries. I was in Bend, Oregon this week. Uh-huh. Weekend highest breweries per capita in America. God bless Ben. People, people are crazy out here. Okay, what are we starting with? We're starting with, uh, oh, why do I scrub? Oh, Zeitgeist by the Smashing Pumpkins. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, Which is just a lame album. So <laughs> this album bad. is not very good. <laughs> what track should we listen to? We should listen to the one good song, Tarantula. Yes, of course. Okay. We should. I stepped into play Stars or Stephen Call. Is it called We Are Stars? God, it's so bad. That is so bad. Uh, <laughs> we could play a bad song. Let's play the bad song. Okay, we should. That would be more appropriate. Okay. Uh, right. Stars, you said, or We Are Stars? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, that song was really bad. I hope you all suffered through all 30 of those seconds I just had to suffer through. <laughs> I feel like you turned it off sooner than you needed to just because you literally could not listen to it anymore. I mean, we got to the part where it's just like, what the fuck is wrong with this song? Um, uh, the point was made. Yeah, all right. I'm, I mean, I'm gonna. I'm obviously going to rant about this because it's the Smashing Pumpkins. So Yeah, um, actually... Uh, you probably have a better rant prepared than I do, so like lay into it, Joe. Well, okay, so there's nothing. All right, so just for we're not going to assume everyone knows what's going on, uh, like true, like we do. Um, so this was a Smashing Pumpkins comeback album, um, <laughs> and and it is it has a place in the bad album pantheon as a terrible comeback album, mm-hmm. um, which is definitely a type. Um, the Smashing Pumpkins had released uh, their final album from the SP1 configuration, uh, as it's known, um, which featured Billy James, Jimmy, and uh, Darcy. Um, uh, well, I guess Darcy and Jimmy kind of off and on, you know, but yeah, never mind. you know what I mean. Um, the first era uh, in 2000, that was Machina, uh, which we discussed on a previous podcast. Um, and Billy had said the pumpkins were broken up forever. He announced mm-hmm. uh, their uh, return in 2005 to promote he, his solo album. He also said they would he would never even play the songs anymore. Right. Um, he decided he needed to be a rock star again, though, so uh-huh. uh, he he wavered. Um, and uh, he announced the return in 2005, and in 2007, uh, we got Zeitgeist uh, preceded. Uh, by a tour where uh, started with their new guitarist Jeff was wearing giant white wings during the first show. <laughs> um, there was an insane amount of pretension. Um, and uh, okay, so but the Zeitgeist the album is you know there there's nothing inherently wrong with uh, Billy and Jimmy, who are the only musicians on the album. It's all Billy play sings and plays all the guitar and bass parts. And Jimmy drums the fuck out of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong with Billy and Jimmy dropping all pretense of grunge and alternative, uh, and instead making a hard rock album, uh, that Mm -hmm. like calls back to bands like UFO or the Scorpions. Um, you know, Jimmy, he puts on a fucking clinic on the drums and Billy, uh, as always is, uh, he's a masterful technician of, of guitar sound. Um, but what's wrong is that they also abandoned, uh, quality songwriting, um, utterly and almost all the tracks stink of childish corniness, um, and a petulant desire, uh, to disregard all, uh, matters of taste and restraint. Um, uh, there are songs. Uh, well, Tarantula, I think, is a, is a really good song. Um, yes, I agree. Uh, and then there's parts of other songs. Um, you know, parts, I think, uh, the last song, Pomp and Circumstance, and uh, which is kind of crazy. Um, the, the sort of new wave groove of That's the Way My Love Is. And maybe the jam at the end of the long song, United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- those parts that aren't afraid of the pumpkin's legacy, um, th- they still resonate um, to, to some extent, especially to a hardcore fan. But look, nine years after it came out, this album is still the equivalent of 
opening up your computer and watching two bros jacking it to the lamest <laughs> fake breast big dick commercial porn. And it's like... So you're not watching the porn. You're watching no. the guys jacking off to the yeah. porn. Yeah. It's like you're not listening to the like fun, hard rock. You're watching uh-huh. two annoying dudes like jacking off to that hard rock. Um, I can't imagine a worse... I can't imagine a worse video, but that's pretty bad. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, and, and then some, there's also a, a technical matter that I think afflicts a lot of these comeback albums is the artists have become way too uh, self-critical uh, in between. Um, I mean, self-critical is not, but they, they've, they're too opinionated about like they're what they do right or wrong too inside their own heads as yeah they say. and so billy also lost all faith uh in his voice um and mm. he still hasn't recorded a solid studio vocal take in like a decade um and he's he lost all of the like awesome wine and now just <laughs> sounds shitty he might not be able to really belt it out as much oh live Live, he gets to a better place, or okay. he sings like just low key, and it's good. Anyway, okay. ugh. yeah, it's, it's tough to listen to this. It's uh, it's go. a bad album. You yeah. go. <laughs> uh, so I will agree with some points and disagree with others, mostly okay. disagreeing in the negative. Yeah. Um, the uh, I agree. Like there are a few good parts. Tarantula is a great song. The end of United States, I also noted as uh, one of the few good moments. Even right. though, like, compared to other Pumpkins Rock Out moments, this is, like, the 60th most exciting riff the Pumpkins have ever put out. But yeah. within this album, it stands out as pretty decent. Right. Um, I strongly disagree that Billy remains a masterful technician of guitar sound. Uh, hmm, maybe okay. maybe it's just in comparison to his previous work, which casts a long shadow because I don't think anybody has ever bested it. But uh, uh, the guitars are generic and not really that full and exciting to me on this album. And then lastly, Pomp and Circumstances is a piece of shit, and I can't believe you said anything nice about it. <laughs> um also, the title is just a stupid bit of wordplay. Like, how how is it clever to change pomp and circumstance to pomp and circumstances? I really, I really don't get I, it. I, well, yes. How is it clever to make melancholy two words? Even that is like sort of stupid funny. Like, like that was that's such a dumb idea. Yeah, <laughs> changing the word melancholy to the word. It, it's surreally dumb. Yeah, and it's sort of takes the piss out of the pumpkins somewhat overstuffed persona of the mid 90s um whereas this is just what do you it just feels like it feels like they're like uh pomp and circumstance how can i change it up oh pomp and circumstances (laughs) (laughs) true yeah anyway uh, i actually did sort of like never lost i don't know what you think about that song yeah that song yeah that that song actually uh, yeah, live it holds up well. I can't believe I have an opinion about how one of these songs is live. <laughs> that's, that's the way my life is. But then he, that's the way your love is. Um, <laughs> yes, that's the joke I was making, Paul. Okay, there we go. Um, <laughs> but then he gets the line like "I'm in touch with you," and it's oh, that's yeah. a terrible line. Uh, um, so I think we've discussed this bad album long enough. 
it's uh nobody should listen to it yeah um and I, if yeah, you're if your favorite group gets back together just your ac- your action should be terror because now the pumpkins have been together have been performing in this version longer than they did in their original one. Oh yeah which is awful it is and and really they just honestly like billy has probably only the past year or two come to really accept the fact that he you know stopped being a giant rock star in like the year like 1998 or 99 exactly and that he is now just like a beloved artist and is actually okay with that yeah Um, and he has some cult fans and the mainstream doesn't give a fuck and we discussed we discussed i think you know um we had a whole podcast about when you know good bands go bad and how you should be you know Mm -hmm. uh you should be thankful for the good albums more than your hate the bad ones. But this album in particular, I um, will never quite forgive it from just being a Smashing Pumpkins album and kind of ruining uh, 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 what I think was a really great canon yeah. from start to finish. Um, and I just think that... But again, like you don't like they even nicely demarcated the good stuff for you. They broke up for seven years in between and you can just do what I do and uh, almost forget that Zeitgeist exists to the greatest extent possible. (laughs) I try. I do. I do. And I do. I do. It it has happened. Um, But it was also it was also extra disappointing because Tarantula was the first single and we were like, Hey, this is good. Like we had a conversation about this. Oh yeah. We, I, I think it was over aim. It, uh, G chat, but yes, G-chat, there you go. Um, did you find the G chat? No, I didn't even think to look, but I remember <laughs> that conversation. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, but, uh, that is, um, turns out they only had that song in them. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I can't, we can't get into the smashing pumpkins weeds anymore. No, uh, I, let's. <laughs> yeah, let's go back one decade. Let's roll to, it back uh, to the nineties, to a time, Joe, when I, uh, I had a very limited music budget, and I really loved grunge alternative music, like I loved it, and so every day, uh, if not every day, many days, I spent a lot of time just listening to the local clear channel programmed alternative rock station. Yeah. Always looking for something that would rekindle the magic of like 1995. 104.1. I think you're right. I believe you are correct. Yes. Yeah. I remember, I'm not going to try to remember the DJ's names. Anyway, Taco Bob. Um, (laughs) um, DJ names have now become a huge joke. So there's no point for us to make that joke. Um, Anyway, so anytime any song really uh, did an above average job of nailing the grunge template of loud riffy intro, quiet verse, loud riffy chorus, bridge, loud riffy chorus, like I was just super excited. So when um, when I heard Our Lady Peace's Clumsy for the first time, I just I was just instantly in love, Joe. Um, and I think everybody else needs to experience that love too. Okay. Uh, I feel like you're reading my biography. (laughs) Let's, let's go. Let's play it. 
days keeps you awake. Hide the telephone, the telephone, telephone in case you realize that sometimes you're just not okay. You level up, you level up, you level up, and it's not alright now. You need to understand there's nothing strange about this. You need to know your friends. You need to know that. Joe, I think you just need a friend. Um, <laughs> sorry, the mic had me mess up there. Um, so that was actually a variation on the template I named before, where you go a little softer at the beginning and then lead into the real angst uh, a moment later. And um, I have to say, Joe, I actually still kind of like that song. There's nothing wrong with with that song. Um, there, there is actually the bridge is really fucking bad, but the rest of the parts of the song are pretty good. Yes, yeah, so what I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I guess I mean there's nothing. It's it's not. There's nothing wrong with liking the song, is what I mean. Okay. Um, now, if you say you like the other tracks on the album besides the ones you heard on the radio. There's definitely something wrong with that because they are really horrendously bad. They are, and they were not worth my, you know, seventeen ninety nine that I dropped uh, at um, the Sam Goody CD <laughs> uh, warehouse or whatever the other. There was another store in the mall, yeah, um, that actually outlived Sam Goody, um, and. This album, to me, actually, is an important album because it was the the first time that my early millennial brain was like, this sucks. Like, having to pay $18 to, I don't know, listen to a couple songs I like, maybe like 20 times total um, mm -hmm. or whatever, is a terrible deal. Yeah. Uh, and. I agree absolutely. I wonder which one of us made this mistake first because I had the same experience of buying the album and being like, oh, after I listened to Superman's Dead, 4 a.m. and Clumsy, uh, all of these songs are really terrible. It's funny. I, I had never knew that you shared uh, this yeah. um, coming of age story with me. <laughs> I shouldn't be surprised. Um, I know I, we had the, we had like the exact same taste at the time. So maybe I thought you'd been spared this by your, um, you know, conflicted, uh, no. Jesus, Jesus soul. In fact, that made it worse because this is one of the records I like, you know, really hoarded up for and, you know, hid from my parents and everything. Oh, this is also like, this is also about the time when, I felt conflicted about uh, swear words being on albums. Mm. Like I thought it was bad if the word shit or fuck was on an album. Um, and so I really liked it if I could find a secular album that didn't have those. And he says the word shit like once on this album. And that like, that really sort of pissed me off when I got to that <laughs> point. <'cause>, so like <laughs> almost made it, you fucker. Um, 
I did. I did used to. I, I feel like there was a time in high school that I was afraid that the secret track on um, Nirvana's Nevermind was too satanic. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt weird listening to it. I, I was worried I was going to go to hell for that. Uh, there were so yeah. many other reasons I was going to go to hell that were just way in line in front of that. But uh, Yeah, now, I mean, we've just given up. We're, yeah. we're just going. So. Yeah. Um, um, so, I mean, I, I feel like an underrated development in our era of like free albums and surprise drops is that, you know, the entire album is expected to be of a, like a consistent quality. Like it does seem that way now. Uh, I mean, not that like a classic album is anything new, but mm-hmm. it, I like that the stakes are higher now. Like if Beyonce had three amazing singles on Lemonade and the rest of it was filler garbage, like the singles would not help. You know what I mean? Like that whole album had to be good. Um, yeah. And I like that um, as compared to, uh, um, you know, I happened to, I listened to the new uh, Young Thug album this week and that uh-huh. tra- that definitely reminded me of this um, hmm. bec- in the way that there were a couple songs that I really liked, um, you know, kind of this the singles, and the rest of it was, um, you know, less than inspired uh, deep cuts. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting to see uh, that still happening across genres. Yeah. Well, I mean, it might be a little bit of an unfair comparison. Like, Beyonce is supposed to be one of the three biggest music artists in the world, whereas Our Lady Peace, in retrospect, uh, and it's funny how obvious this is when you go back to it now, is clearly such a record label-driven cash grab, where they like found some good-looking Canadian who had who could uh, who could translate his uh, basic bitch songwriting skills into the then hot mode of grunge and they sort of you know push the singles onto clear channels radio and uh sold a bunch of albums that way and uh big success from the record label standpoint and um one of canada's uh most popular bands of all time yeah well that's because canada is a really terrible country so um <laughs> You can't really blame them for having such shitty music because in everything of, they have isn't so great. In terms of music taste, I, I can't help but agree. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually have no beef with Canada. I just think it's funny to rag on Canada. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, and then you go back to this. Uh, uh, it's it's feels dumb to pick on this album, especially because we're going to be picking on some more interesting albums a little later. Um, but yeah. even the, the lyrics are awful. Um, they're so bad even at, it, that was one of the main things for me as a kid listening to it was like i was just like this album like i listen to some pretty sad music and this album is such a downer usually because it's addressed to somebody else who sucks uh that i just couldn't stand listening to it after a while and it's right I, even then i realized this it was dumb uh, yeah. Even as I clung to the essential importance of Billy Corgan's every utterance, uh, exactly. I recognized that this album uh, was dumb. Um, doesn't anybody ever know the world's a subway? 
<laughs> Subway. Subway. Uh, you know, to um, to misquote Dave Chappelle, they should never have given you hipsters money. <laughs> there we go. That was that was well done. There we go. Um, um, so, I, I mean, oh. I think, okay, so I have one random observation about this album yeah. um, to get a little off topic. Uh, um, I, I suppose that this gives uh, a lot of the current 90s indie rock revival uh, some credit. Um, there's not a lot of this bullshit going on. Um, mm-hmm. And you know they they figured out what's really good about it no one's trying to copy our lady piece um and even <laughs> like mainstream alternative uh so so much as it exists has graduated from this schlock yeah i mean there's still plenty of well mediocre I don't know. shit but you you have like imagine dragons and bullshit like that yeah that's true but yeah. i mean i don't know i i Maybe I mean I haven't gotten into Imagine Dragons deep cuts, but neither have I. They're probably really bad, Joe. Yeah. All right. I won't give them too <laughs> much credit. Right now, I have faith that they probably put together a slightly better album than Our Lady Peace and other '90s record company. It would be hard to do worse, so I'll agree with yes. that. Yes. Anything? Um, anything else to say? Uh, a couple things. Okay. Um, one, if you want to know what we're talking about, just listen to the second track on this album. Because you go from yes. Superman's Dead, which is listenable, to it's just awful immediately. Second of all, I sort of got into the uh, Our Lady Peace Clumsy Album Wikipedia network of articles. <laughs> and I think they were all written by the same middle school fan of Our Lady Peace because they're Whoa. just they're just really weirdly phrased in a lot of places. Like... Like, like somebody's bad middle school book report essay or something. Like, uh, so from the main album Wikipedia article, there's a line. <laughs> Around this time, April, the working title of the album was Propeller, as Rain explained, Rain being the lead singer. Quote, as in that which causes forward movement. This was probably a testament to the band's evolution since their debut album. And it's just like, it's just the dumbest faux profound bullshit I've ever heard in my life. And all the articles are like that. Another one, they explained that 4 a.m., the song, the name has a double meaning because it was written all at 4 a.m. And it was written for Anthony Merida, 4 a.m., the lead singer's uh, uh, father. So, Yeah. It's delightful when you identify, you know, particular the voice of a particular Wikipedia uh-huh. author and follow it through many shitty articles. <laughs> it reminds me of like my uh, Bible as literature class in in college, where we you know, uh, talked about another the, thing we both did. Yes, the specific, you know, um, uh, authors. Yeah, the four the 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 yahwist the whatever yes who all exactly rewrote the old testament yeah so you actually <laughs> found the yahwist of uh the um the our lady peace <laughs> wiki pages well he uh someday maybe somebody will worship rain Maida as a god and it will be because of him shout out shout out to all the people listening who got that joke maybe your middle brother <laughs> oh, he definitely knows all about that. Oh yeah, he was way probably, more than we do. <laughs> he's probably making the joke in his head, like as as um, exactly. As we were. My middle brother is a, an ordained priest. Oh yeah, it was not. <laughs> in, of course, he 
is yeah. knows ten times what we do. I was just telling the audience. I was a theology uh, minor in college, Paul. Come oh, were now. you? Okay. I was. Well, you guys should argue sometime. <laughs> no, we should. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so let's go back to the '80s, Joe. Let's and let's do listen it. to what I would describe as a an extended extended play. Not really a full album, but uh, uh, would you say that this album rocks, Joe? Yeah, uh, with as long as there are no follow up questions, yes. <laughs> All right, let's listen to a track from "Everybody's Rockin'" by Neil Young. This one for you, Alan Green. Wherever you go, whatever you do. Cause the things that do it today will make the scene out of you. Everybody's rocking. Um, everybody's rocking. Everybody's rocking. That's that. <laughs> I didn't even know what I did. That. That was Mario. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's more like everybody's rocking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Paul, I had not uh, encountered this album until you picked it out for this episode. It's only one of the five um, that I had not um, aw- that I was not aware of. I, I knew it because it's infamous for having been such a failure that it inspired David Geffen to sue Neil Young for not making music that sounded enough like Neil Young. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And he, he lost that suit miserably, but I think he probably should have won because this album is really fucking lame. Uh, it was He was fighting the good fight. Even though he lost, um, yeah, the fight against shit music, yeah, against self-indulgent artists who decide they're gonna play like a not very interesting at all retake on music from thirty years before, from before rock was really what we know it today. Yeah, um, like imagine. Oh wait. This actually happens. I was about to say, this wasn't planned. Imagine if somebody went back and tried to play exactly the same, like the most boring basic version of synth pop from the 80s that you could imagine and make the sound as poorly recorded as it would have been in the 80s. But then I realized that actually that's half of indie music nowadays. So, <laughs> so. Well, at least they're not like doing it out of totally out of spite that's uh, true they're doing it out of a lazy pose <laughs> um uh, you know and neil young i mean he admits that these are all surface songs that's yes. those are his words mm-hmm. um and claims that it was fitting with uh superficial trends at the time um i thought it was interesting that he he said it was a concept album <laughs> um you know that he's kind of playing a part uh 
much like Garth Brooks would later claim yes. when he released his uh, a straight up rock album. Um, the life of Chris Gaines. Yes, there you go. Um, that's a that would be a, been a great name for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we can still name it that, Joe. Um, uh, no, I mean the whole podcast, not oh. just this episode. Oh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> the continuing adventures of Chris Gaines. Um, it's interesting to hear Neil Young sing songs like this. Um, uh-huh. It's interesting, but it's not good. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh so I actually didn't find the album horrible. It's just not necessary for anything. Like it's pure rockabilly. Like what we just played for you is exactly what the whole album sounds like. Um it's pure rockabilly revival with the slight addition that like kind of Fonda Wanda makes a overt reference to sex instead of the veiled references to sex that were popular in the 50s. <laughs> Um, that's really the only innovation. It's only like 26 or 28 minutes long because Geffen realized how bad it was and got so pissed they stopped funding the recording, as I understand it. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Um, Neil Young is a great American, even though he's Canadian, and, um, a hero of mine. Uh, and I appreciate his iconoclasm, but this album is not very good. Well, and, um... I just think, okay, so I have a deeper question for you, Paul. Sure. Um, is this kind of rock music, even in its original form from the 50s and 60s, uh, good? That's a good question, actually. Um, I am inclined to say no, because it does very little for me. Now, I can imagine if you were listening to this live, uh, it would be fun to like sort of have a party to. Yeah. Uh, if there were like a real band playing it in front of you. Um, and I can imagine if you were a repressed uh, 40s teen who was coming of age in the early to mid 50s and you heard this, uh, it would be wild enough to get you excited. I, you know, I'm trying to right. empathize here. Right. Well, I mean, it's like when the Beatles got up there and played music like this and played it fast and fucking loud and it was you had never heard anything like it um i'm sure that was awesome yeah so i mean i can imagine having a good time to this music if i didn't know about the subsequent 60 to 70 years of music that was way better than it (laughs) but i to me this is just like it's like asking well are cave paintings actually good it's like no they're just what they could do at the time right right unless you get to like uh, right, unless you get exact to sit to to go back, like you know, to to the Beatles again. I mean, unless you're at the point where John Lennon is singing "Twist and Shout," like you're yeah. just not hitting. Um, it's just not possible to hit the highest peaks. Yeah, um, and and "Twist and Shout" like kicks the shit out of most of this type of music. Oh yeah, yeah, um, different levels. So yeah, um, I, I think that. Um, what are there? Do you have other albums that are kind of in this category of, you know, bad mid-career um, diversion? Yeah, um, they definitely exist. Um, you know, some people probably think Radiohead was shit after OK Computer. Oh uh, yeah, I have a couple of those friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, there must. I, I mean, think of any artist who who 
did something weird in the middle of his career, and I'm sure there are people who hated it. Neil Young is a little weird in that, you know, so this was like 15 years plus into his career already, and he'd already been Neil Young, and he'd been, you know, the the Y and CSNY. So he'd already done a bunch of different things, and he's gone on to just sort of, you know, ramble around through different musical things for his whole life. And so it doesn't feel, this is clearly like more of a one-off road he went down as opposed to like I'm going to reinvent myself type of thing you know right so yeah I mean almost every um I feel like every uh individual artist um who's been around um not necessarily a band but an artist has had you know this kind of swing um sometimes Mm. much more successfully than Neil Young did it. I mean, you know, I, I think someone who just happens to stand out to me is Beck, um, mm. who may even have kind of tried to do this and, but was always weird enough um, and thinking enough about his songwriting that it never, you know, happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really the ultimate problem with this is that he doesn't add anything to, he doesn't update the genre in any way. It's just, here's some rockabilly that Neil Young did. And so uh, it's useful only if you really like Neil Young's voice so much that you wanted to hear it over other musical styles. Right, right. Um, you know what I'd like to see, Joe, is uh, I'd like to see Jay-Z go back and record like a an early 80s style rap album, like just straight up, no updates at all, use those old tinny beats and do that sort of really stilted flow they did back then, because that would be about the equivalent of what we're, we listen to here. Wow, I would, I would, uh, I would love that. <laughs> I would listen to the shit out of that. And then I would have a podcast about how it wasn't very good. <laughs> um, would you rather that or uh, Weird Al record a, a album of serious rock ballads? Oh my god, that. <laughs> I feel like the Weird Al album would either be good or hilariously bad, so yeah. I I would have to go with that. Yeah, right. There's a chance that would be like fucking amazing, right? Like over the past thirty years, he's like written like ten just really good songs. Yeah, and he's finally releasing them. Yeah, and then there's a chance you'd be like, "This is fucking Weird Al trying to pull my heartstrings." Right. <laughs> this it's is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Awful. Um, I'm kind of mad at myself that I, I know that after this podcast is over, I'm going to think of like 20 other examples of albums like this. Yeah. Where it's just this strange, um, uh, you know, aberration. Uh, but I can't think of any right now. Um, they so. they have maybe like Arcade Fire going disco on their last album. <laughs> yes, that's a good one. Although, again, they weren't, like, just doing it as... It, it's Arcade Fire's take on disco elements, not, like, we are literally just playing songs that were disco songs. Right. And trying to write a few more songs that sound exactly like those songs. It's it's weird that somebody who had a lot of creativity... I mean, Neil Young is a great musician, would um, do something this just straightforward. It, I, you know... <laughs> he has had a long career and he was bound to get bored and just be like, Oh, I'll just play some rockabilly songs. It's fun. Um, well, Bruce, you know, Bruce Springsteen definitely had some albums where he, um, uh, had more of a dance, like eighties pop feel. He just did it really fucking successfully. Uh, but that might even count because he's like, 
was just reflecting another like super popular uh uh genre of the time and i guess that's what makes this kind of stand out is how far back neil young reached to find (laughs) this exactly um although now it's now been as long you know this is now this album was released about at the midpoint between us and the rockabilly era so yeah um all right should we go further back we should go further back to the album that inspired this whole idea joe okay lou reed's metal machine music yes hit it (laughs) joe which track should i play wow hard to choose we're just gonna start at the beginning okay There we go. The and most obnoxious music we have ever played on Savage Beast. And it's that for an hour. Yeah, a good solid hour. Four sides of that. Of manipulated feedback tape loops. Yes, that have no rhythm, no melody, no harmony, just noise. Joe, did you get anything out of this album? Yeah, uh, so... Um here's what i got out of it um is that i enjoyed listening to it all right um, i um found this to be um like an incredibly abrasive but brilliantly made film uh that you would watch once and be kind of uh transported by a very totally different um something you've never seen before in this case heard um it's it's cleansing um and and you would you would not listen to it again i mean except maybe you know to to keep the film metaphor going maybe you would watch it again 10 years later to Mm -hmm. see what lessons had you'd kept from it it would continue on and maybe what new things you might get out of it um that doesn't make it pleasant um (laughs) i you know i happen to enjoy I like feedback solos, which which is just one of my like favorite guitar, um, my favorite tricks of guitar wankery. Um, see the last four minutes mm-hmm. of the Smashing Pumpkins drown, um, <laughs> uh, which of course is different. That has melody and harmony and is quite beautiful at times. Um, I, so, just to me, as someone who is interested in music as high art um mm-hmm. this to this album is a must listen um <laughs> you you need to um you know see how you react to something uh at the absolute edge of rock music 
Yeah. Um, it's the same way I would listen to, you know, totally, you know, the, I, uh, you know, what classical music of the, the second half of the 20th century. Um, you know, not, not that I would comp- it's hard because there's, it's not like Philip Glass is writing music like this, but I would Philip say Philip Glass it, is infinitely more listenable than this, I would say. Yes, that's... Yeah, I mean, infinitely more listenable in terms of pleasantness, but not in terms of, like... Um, I would say he's infinitely more listenable in terms of the, uh, the um, interest in the artistic effect of the music. Um, anyway, I don't have... I don't necessarily have, um, you know, the next level of coherent thought beyond that. Um, just yeah. to say that I, um, I see no reason to regard this as one of the worst albums ever made, um, except that it's so jarring compared to Lou Reed's other work <laughs> and that it, you know, is so ridiculous that he kind of released this as anything other than, you know, concept art. Yeah. Um, well, so apparently he did try to get uh, RCA or whoever his label was to release it on their their high art classical music uh, sub label. Oh, there we go. Yeah, and they wouldn't. Um, but as as Lester Bang said in the time at one in one quote I read, this was uh, as classical music. It was a little played out. So. That's one argument against it is that classical music had sort of already been there to this these sorts of ideas. Yes, of course, um, Lester Banks um, had a strange um, adversarial <laughs> relationship with Lou Reed and was like always showing up in his hotel room and getting in these like weird um, hours long arguments with him, um, which made it really unclear why Lou Reed kept inviting him into his hotel room like I after was, shows. I, but... I bet Lou Reed hated him. That sounds that's weird. Yeah. I think Lou Reed, though, kind of hated everyone and so still kind of hung out yeah. with people he despised. Um, <laughs> Lester Bangs, uh, if his his books of rock criticism are probably my favorite music writing. Highly mm. recommended, um, especially if you like Lou Reed. <laughs> I've never actually read any of his... I've never sat down and read a lot of Lester Bangs, but um, when I do read him, there's some good stuff. Um, so my reaction was... I agree. I mean, there's some value in listening to it just to find out what this most infamously uh, quote unquote terrible album is about. But aside from the, uh, the excellent troll job it represents, Mm -hmm. I, I, it's just noise, man. Like I can listen the for about five seconds is like, that's kind of interesting. And then it just goes on for an hour. Um, I don't know the, it may be some defect in my own um, willingness to try out uh, ultra things, but um, uh, they're lacking any harmony, melody, or rhythm. There's just nothing to capture my interest at all until you get to the locked groove at the very end, which is kind of a cool little groove, um, which is the best part of the troll really that that is <laughs> at the very end he's like oh here we'll have you we'll give you a little bit of a beat that kind of reminded me a little bit of the uh some of the this heat grooves we listened to uh on that album uh, a few episodes ago yeah i mean i think there is definitely uh 
question of listening to it for this length of time, you have to very um, specifically be interested in kind of uh, losing your sense of being and yeah. individuality and yeah. looking for, you know, a, a particular deep form of meditation, which may or yeah. may not appeal um, or interest you. Yeah, I could imagine it as sort of functional meditation music for somebody who needs some really, really abrasive background for their meditation. Uh, did you uh, read? Did you read the liner notes for this album? I, I read some some of the quotes from it, but I no, I did not read the whole liner notes. Okay, they're not that long, but Lou Reed does say like, "Yeah, you're not supposed to listen to the whole fucking thing at once. Just start it wherever and listen for a while." Right. Um, um, I have a feeling so, yeah. our friend Phil has uh, gotten really into this album at some point. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Uh, uh, just yeah. inside inside joke to the three of you who know Phil. <laughs> we all have that. We all have that friend who uh, yeah uh, probably just fucking loves metal machine music yeah i would say that friend i mean i don't want to dispute people's sincerity but uh so all i can really say is i just don't get it it's like it's like you're spraying me with a hose and the water just rolls off and i'm not there's there's nothing left the water isn't on me anymore it hit me but it's gone i felt nothing um, Paul, well, okay, one last question about this. How much would it need to be adjusted towards um, harmony, sense, and meaning for you to be into it? I think I think if it had, like, any element of those, it would have a chance. Um, okay. It's a good question. Because at the end, though, I was sort of, you know, it's not mu- – it's just rhythmic at the end. And right. that sort of did appeal to me. I will say – I didn't hate it. It didn't cause me pain to listen to it. Um, it actually served as decent background music. I uh, I listened to the first three tracks, the first 45 minutes, and then I took a cheap vacation, uh, if you know what I mean. And um, <laughs> okay. then I came back. <laughs> then I came back for the uh, fourth track, and um, I actually like wrote a scene of dialogue for my novel to it. And it was just sort of, you know, it was decent background sound for thinking and doing stuff, but it, it, in that it didn't obtrude too much, but that was really all I can say for it. Man, a lot to unpack there. Most excited to read your novel. (laughs) Um, Hoping to have uh, read um, a novel from each of our friends um really excited about this yeah um, coming soon I, from mushroom I'm, cloud press i'm trying to figure <laughs> out whether cheap vacation is a shit or something it's a frank roshan reference joe you should have it he, he uses the line a few times in one of the songs from this album ah it's a uh, smoke some <laughs> marijuana that's a cheap vacation ah okay <laughs> excellent yeah um okay any final thoughts on uh on lou reed giving uh the underground music fans the middle finger in 1975 uh no okay then let us turn to the rolling stones one of our favorite bands to talk about on this podcast that just by accident that's true um 
All right. Shall we listen to the one really catchy pop song or something bad from this album, Joe? Let's listen to something bad. All right. Um, sing this all together. See what happens. The second version was yes. very boring, I recall. Yes, let's do it. All right. <laughs> chosen a birthday track that was almost too boring (laughs) (laughs) but that's that was representative of the aimless psychedelia imitation bullshit the rolling stones gave us on this album um did you ever wish the rolling stones would stop playing so many sick blues riffs joe uh i i wow no um i don't think i really had the opportunity given my age to wish that but um (laughs) Uh, no. <laughs> I was never listening to Let It Bleed and be like, mm, if only this would just sort of uh, uh, do a half-assed Beatles impression, that would be great. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, so this is, wait, did we say the full title of the album, Their Satanic no. Majesty's Request by the Rolling Stones? Yes, uh, their 1967 response to Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart, Hearts Club Band. Um, and uh, I, this, it's psychedelic crap. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me appreciate the um the unbeatable charisma of the Beatles mm-hmm. uh, even more. Um, and it's interesting as we go back to see how kind of these albums, how much like from Neil Young and even Lou Reed, like how much these like things are like responding to the immense popularity of the Beatles, um, in their own ways, um. Not as this. This is the only one that's like the primary response, but um, yeah, uh, it's it's part of it. Anyway, um, uh, it makes me appreciate that charisma of the Beatles even more that they can sell so many of their thinner '60s novelty takes successfully. Um, yeah, while things like this just are absolutely flat. Exactly. Like even a song I don't like very much, like being for the benefit of Mr. Kite on Sergeant Peppers is way more interesting than like what we just listened to there, which goes on for eight minutes, by the way. Yeah. Right. Like a song on here, like in another land. uh, Mm -hmm. That was one where I'm like, okay, if Paul or John is singing this, um, we would, we would have something to work with, but in the stones hands, it sounds to me like when you're at like a, a, 
a bar now and a 60s classic cover band comes on and then they're like yeah we're gonna play one of our original songs (laughs) it pretty much is like that um Uh, right right um yeah this yeah i guess i think this might be the my least favorite of all of these albums because it's so unfun yeah um I disagree just because, like, She's a Rainbow is actually a a pretty good song. Like, I enjoyed that one. Okay, yes, true. And also the the first track, which is the first See What Happens, or or Sing This All Together, uh, that has moments. Um, It is sort of funny that, like, 10 seconds into that first track, you hear, like, sort of an off-tune horn squall sound, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be self-consciously psychedelic. I can tell this immediately. Yep. And then it continues. Um I, I think that's it's um this this reminds me of um our our buddy Taylor when we were last talking about the Rolling Stones, but I really just pick up on how obviously miserable they are trying to crank out this psychedelic acid folk and yeah. you know, they're not sensitive souls and they don't want to be. No. And, uh, you know, apparently you're not going to be surprised to hear this, but the whole recording of this album was like, uh, nobody knew which band members were going to show up each day. They (laughs) were on any number of substances the whole time. And every time they showed up, they brought like 20 of their loser friends into the studio to hang out. So it's like Keith Richards with a bunch of girls he met at the bar and he's high and then you know Mick Jagger isn't even there for the first eight hours of recording and yeah so it's not really a surprise that they were just sitting around being high being like oh fuck the Beatles man we'll do something like them and then it just turned into total shit wow yes I'm reading now that they panicked a little a month before the album was release date because they literally had nothing to release <laughs> exactly been hanging out and doing drugs with some sound equipment sitting next to them and i mean who can blame them to be fair that's what we would do when yes. if we were wildly popular rock stars and got to like album number five exactly um, um so yeah and you know they went on to have their best period after this so yeah props to them uh, producers are important yes and they did have one but uh he was probably on drugs and making it with groupies at the same time as well um yeah do you have anything else to say about their satanic majesty's request joe i do not yeah Um, it's it's boring don't listen to it yeah you could listen to she's a rainbow like i said it's sort of a a a fun 60s song Um, um so what did what did you listen uh what did you learn listening to um these five albums um hmm. from hell <laughs> i mean you know uh the f- the first three chronologically were all ones i wanted to go back to uh, i'd actually listened to the satanic majesty's request back in college because this was again in my uh rock and roll history course that i mentioned uh, before yeah. as it mentioned as a fiasco um so i listened to it then and uh time has not made it any better um metal machine music is such a famous troll that uh i had to try it out and uh, it turns out i could have listened to one minute of it and gotten the idea but um, (laughs) but uh it uh it didn't hurt me none 
Uh, everybody's rocking. I was actually disappointed that it was more just sort of boring rockabilly instead of amazingly bad rockabilly. Um, and then uh, Our Lady Peace reminded me that I wasn't as big of an idiot as I thought when I was 17. And Zeitgeist made me depressed because, again, I realized that they've been doing the post-Zeitgeist thing as long as they were doing the post-Gish thing. So that sucks. Yeah, that is a depressing that might be the most depressing fact <laughs> of all these facts um, that the Smashing Pumpkins have sucked longer than they ruled. Yes. Uh, um, it happens to us all, Joe. We, we have a few brief years of glory in our twenties and then it's just, you know, slowly, slowly decaying after that. That's true. Uh, you know, clinging to the last glimmer of light via podcasts and, uh, buying ever more expensive dogs <laughs> someday we'll be reduced to just staring at the same computer screen playing porn jerking it together as bros <laughs> well, that day could come sooner than you think um, i look forward to we have a podcast about uh watching porn with our designer dogs <laughs> i'm not gonna try to do a bit from that but if you've got one go for that it. will be that will be our everybody's rocking of <laughs> savage beast um i i want to say that i learned no lessons from <laughs> listening to these albums other um, than if everybody for 50 years has an album that's terrible like believe them <laughs> yes that is true that is true thank you um to the folks who have warned us about these albums um you were right um it's it's nice to have cons- a consensus that's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, that's all I got, Joe. Um, shall I do the sign off? Yeah, yeah. I need to go listen to some good music. That's a good idea, actually. So, um, if you do want to hear our opinions about music that isn't terrible in the future, uh, you can follow us at Savage Beast Pod on Twitter. You can. Uh, Go to our website, savagebeastpod.com, and email us at savagebeastpod at gmail.com, which someday we'll check. Um, you can also, and we would really appreciate this, subscribe and rate us on iTunes, which I recently uh, unlocked my iTunes account from 2004 by remembering the answer to the security question, poison should be tried out on dot, 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 um, which I left for myself. Wow. It turned out, so the this this had really stymied me. Finally, because I had no idea why I chose this phrase, I uh, Googled it. And uh, it turned out to be a terrible security question in that Googling the security question gives you the answer to the security ah, question. Interesting. It's a Bantu medical saying, and the answer is a frog. And I have no idea. I have no recollection of why I thought this was a great uh phrase to use as my security question but um common sayings are not good security questions people because again google knows the answers to all of them so um don't be an idiot like me wow okay um Uh, so anyway the point of the story is that now i can go subscribe to us on itunes and rate us um not that you would ever taint the ratings in that way no i would never cajole my friends into doing it or um pay bots to do it uh certainly well paul um 
Pitchfork just re- were you done with your sign off? Did yeah. we cover all the bases? We we covered them. Pitchfork just released their list of the fifty best indie albums of the Pacific Northwest. I know. Um, so I'm gonna go uh, really enjoy listening to all these albums while at the same time really enjoying getting mad at the arbitrary order that they place them in. <laughs> um, Sounds like a future podcast, Joe. Yeah. Um, the Moon and Art Antarctica is eight. Um, so I'll leave you with that one. Just trying to figure out seven better albums I, from the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> impossible. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, yeah. Yep. No. Yeah. It's it's that's some of them will make you mad. Yeah. Um, you know what, Joe? It's okay. I made a vow not to get that worked up about it, but we should still argue about it someday. We should. We should. We should talk about whether there are two Elliot Smith albums that are better than the Moon and Our Antarctica, oh, like Pitchfork fuck, things. Fuck Elliot Smith, man. Oh, poor Elliot. <laughs> um, he was right. murdered. Elliot Smith truthers. Um, <laughs> By Tupac. <laughs> for being a crip. <laughs> good night. Um, good, good night. <laughs>